The name's Jackson. Lisa, so what do you do? He planned everything perfectly. My business is all about you. Joe Reiser, your father. But there was one thing. You're gonna kill my dad. He never expected. You've got to get out of that house. Now, the flight is over. Dad? But the ride is just beginning. Red Eye. There is a man in my house who's trying to kill me. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 20 of Craven Craven, the podcast about all things West Craven. I am one of your Craven Craven co-hosts, Patrick Bromley, joined, as always, by my Craven Craven co-host, Heather Wixen. Hi, Heather. Hello, Patrick. It's been so long. I know. It's been too long. But we're it back has. to talk about Red Eye. Oh, gosh. Oh, man. To talk Red Eye? Okay, pardon my French, but Red Eye fucking rules, and I'm so excited. <laughs> I should say off the bat, uh, my wife Erica is very upset that she is not joining us to talk about Red Eye because she shows it in class every October. It's like in her film studies class, this is their Halloween treat. She shows them Red Eye. So I should just really be doing this episode with Erica as well. I'm going to tap out. Okay. And uh, you guys can talk Red Eye. Hey, Heather, have you released any books recently? Uh, oh yeah, I guess I have, haven't I? That was recently, wasn't it? Because I don't, I have zero concept of time anymore. Uh, yes, in fact, I did. Um, Monsters Makeup and Effects Volume Two came volume out. Volume Two, October, baby, on October twenty sixth. Um, yes, it's available now. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, over at the publisher's website, which is AM Inc. I N K Publishing dot com. Um, yeah, it's one of those things where I'm like, hey, I actually am doing this and I'm not just totally wussing out and not following through. So, yeah, we are two books in, two to go. OMG. I am very excited. I don't have my copy yet, but it is on its way and I'm excited. And uh, I'm what kind of forward... horror BFF are you? Really? <laughs> October was a busy month. Okay. That's okay. I get it. It's fine. My, actually, my copies just showed up like last week. So, because I had to order a bunch because I'm going to be doing some giveaways and stuff. So, oh, yes, cool. for you listeners, there might be some giveaways happening. Uh, I think there's one right now over at Daily Dead uh, that we're currently doing. So, okay. that's one way to do it. And then I'm going to be. You're doing a signing with... in December, right? I am. December 11th at Dark Delicacies. It'll be myself and a few of uh, the part uh, participants in the book so far. Hopefully we're going to get a few more folks out uh, for it. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited and happy and just nerve wracking. I actually just got the nicest uh, message that I have to respond to from the gentleman who runs the Gremlins Museum. Which oh, wow. first and foremost, I didn't even know there was a Gremlins Museum. Um, but he said that he really loved my chapter with Chris Wayless. And he's been recommending it pretty regularly in the Facebook group about Gremlins. And saw some really good responses from people in there Very um, cool. which i thought was really nice so thank you and i'm gonna maybe go to the gremlins museum myself too which i'm excited about my big problem with the gremlins museum no swimming pool i think that's not a problem i think that's the solution <laughs> i don't think you want a swimming pool there just in case i've seen the movie i know that there should be a swimming pool <laughs> How or else, was, how else do you stay in business? You need more That's gremlins. True. Was it sprinkle? Oh, it was sprinklers in part two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, but how else? But it wasn't just sprinklers. The sprinklers were at the end when they were trying to get them all in the lobby to electrify them. How did they start multiplying initially? 
God, I don't remember. Can you? That's terrible. No, I don't remember either. Holy crap. Yeah. Wow, nobody's going to take us seriously anymore. Well, that's fine. I haven't watched that movie in a couple of years. We did a, you and I did a, was it Nightmare Junkhead? We did a podcast about it where we like yeah. pitted it against Tremors. Uh, and that was the last time I watched it. So. Okay. So I think we're overdue to watch New Batch. Yeah, I guess so. But then I got to okay. watch the first one too. Oh, okay. You can't watch one without the other. That's true. Although AMC was actually playing both of them quite a bit during October, which is very interesting. Do you know I didn't um, turn on AMC once in October? Dude, my TV ne- like hardly left AMC in October. <laughs> Do you know how many times I ended up watching that stupid Nightmare remake? Because I was like, eh. Oh, this is upsetting. <laughs> I know it is. I know it is. And the thing is, like, it, it just bums me out because I actually really like that cast. And there's elements to that movie I actually still genuinely like, but that's about it. You know who's in that cast? Oh, a young Kyle Gallner who is in Red Eye. Star of Red Eye. That's right. This was the first time I had seen Red Eye since the theater. Really? Yeah. I had never revisited it. So when I saw it in 2005, I didn't know who the fuck Kyle Gallner was. So watching it now, I was like, holy shit, that's Kyle Gallner as like his younger brother. I think this might have been his first theatrical role. Wow. If I'm not mistaken. I feel like that's something that he and I talked about. Okay. Um, or he talked about when I did the press day for like the Scream virtual set visit. And he talked about like being part of Scream, which was Wes Craven. And that how it felt full circle because like his first huh. movie right. was Red Eye for Wes Craven. I feel like that is a conversation that was had. Is it also possible that you're making all of this up? Possibly. But I have such a specific memory of that that <laughs> I don't know that I am. I'd have to go back and look uh, at my transcripts. According to IMDb, he's got a couple. He's got a couple theatrical credits: Wet Hot American Summer, Red Betsy, Finding Home. Did, but did any of those? Did Wet Hot Wet Hot American Summer? Did it actually go theatrical? It did. I saw it in the theater. Did you really? Because I only discovered it on like dvd yeah no i was such a big fan of the state that it was only playing at one theater downtown in chicago so erica and i drove to the city to see it and i've i know i've told this story before but like i think i embarrassed both her and myself with how hard i laughed at that movie okay yeah i think maybe because um, it came out like a right around the time when like my wedding was that I think I must have just missed it. Understandable. You had more important shit going on. I mean, obviously not because I got divorced. <laughs> should have seen Wet Hot American Summer. I guess I should have just changed my plans. Um, but yeah, I think or I think this was like his first major theatrical movie. That I think it's more. Like, I haven't even heard of the other movies, and he no. has to barely be in Wet Hot American Summer. He doesn't come on my radar until Veronica Mars, which is right around the same time. Oh, Veronica Mars was so good. Yeah, it was. So I never good. watched any of the like the Hulu seasons. I didn't either. Yeah. I feel bad, but I was like, I just didn't know if we could capture that magic again. Yeah. And I was a little nervous about yeah. it. But I've heard I heard good things, so maybe maybe we both have to go back and revisit it. Maybe that'll be our next podcast series. <laughs> Recapping Veronica, Veronica Mars. Mars. Why not? I like it. There's a podcast for everything these days, Patrick. Yeah, most of these TV podcasts are with, like, former cast members, and they just recap old episodes. It's a weird phenomenon that's taking place. 
Yeah, I'll be honest. I'm so bummed that years ago I had I wanted to start a Cobra Kai podcast and I had the best podcast name for it ever. Okay. And I never did it, but now we're like season five's already out and stuff. I'm like, well, and I think there's other ones out there that actually exist. So I never went through with it, but I was I was primed. Are you gonna tell us the name? It was called That Podcast from Reseda. I like it. Yes. So I figured it worked because like I'm actually really close to Reseda. So okay. you know. Yeah. Um and it was something that, you know, Karate Kid fans would get. <laughs> I hope. So, but anyway, we should talk about Red Eye, though. We're here to talk Red Eye uh, from 2005, one of two movies Wes Craven made in 2005. Do I have that right? Uh, Doesn't Curse come out in in uh, 2005 also? It probably does. I swear. I th- yes. Yes. Yeah. So we're yes, probably actually we're we probably were supposed to do cursed before this. Because um, cursed is like February. Oh, cursed is February. Did we do this wrong? <laughs> we did it out of order. I don't care. Oh no, whatever. We'll get to it. <laughs> we'll do cursed next, everyone. I promise. Wow, but... that's right. He had like two movies in theaters within like less than a month of each other. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to do Curse next, everybody. We apologize. Yeah, no big deal. We got the year right, at least. Yes. Uh, Let me read the IMDb synopsis of Red Eye. A woman is kidnapped by a stranger on a routine flight. Threatened by the potential murder of her father, she is pulled into a plot. I'm sorry. Pulled into a plot to assist her captor in a political assassination. That's it. Intriguing. Rachel feels, McAdams. It feels and very Killian 24. Murphy. It does feel very 24. All it's missing is Kiefer Sutherland going, damn it. Yeah. Or I still can hear the CTU phones ringing. The bum. <laughs> it's like every time I hear that phone ring, I'm like, ah, I'm at CTU. Erica is an insane multitasker and will often have two laptops and her phone going at the same time. And every time she does, I will make some sort of CTU joke. Nice. I appreciate that. Thank you. We are definitely living in the early 2000s. Uh, yeah, we are. We're, we're taking a trip back here. <laughs> we're um, all about 24 and Veronica Mars. Yes, we are. <laughs> both and shows Red that Eye. had like, uh, you know, resurgences and I skipped both of the resurgences. I skipped the resurgence for 24 also. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just wasn't interested in that. Fuck it. Um, but anyway. Red, Red Eye. Eye. Red Eye. Um, yeah, so revisiting it for the first time in close to 20 years, I guess, uh, reminded me of what a good, tight little thriller it is. And that was my memory of it, that it was very, like, economical. It does a lot in a short amount of time, takes an almost Larry Cohen-esque script in terms of, like, let's put it all in one or two locations make the whole thing very claustrophobic, uh, very sympathetic protagonist, and go. Um, Much like Phone Booth, much like Cellular, which both came out around this time as well. So this was sort of a a, a brief phenomenon. Oh, hello. And, uh, And that it's an interesting snapshot into sort of different career that Wes Craven might have had if he didn't get sort of pigeonholed into horror. Yeah, definitely. And you have to wonder too, like with cursed coming out, like how much that ended up killing 
any possible <laughs> mo- momentum that Red Eye gave him. Because, I mean, Red Eye was really well-received when it came out. Yeah. Um, you know, and even, like, the, the hoity-toity critics who generally always were ready to, to give Wes a not-so-great review, you know, they were like, oh, this this actually works really well. And I think for me, like, it made, like, watching it was one, it was, like, re-falling in love with it all over again, which... I, it, this might change a lot of my rankings when we get to that point in terms of when we start ranking the Wes Craven movies for our final episode of the series, which I'm terrified to do for the record. I am so scared because it's like, I just, Oh God, how do you like, how do you pit things that you love against each other? I just don't know how people do that regularly. I just can't. Um, I'm so bad at it. Um, But what I, what it, I loved why you, I loved how you talked about the economics of it because there is not a single line of dialogue or a single frame wasted in this movie. Everything has a purpose. It sets up like literally in the first like three minutes, like everything about uh, Rachel McAdams' character Lisa is like set up so specifically. Yeah. In terms of like who she is, what's going to motivate her, what's going to keep her going, what what skills she's going to use how she handles people like it's brilliant. And I, I don't know much about Carl Ellsworth. Um, oh, he wrote Disturbia. That makes sense. Cause I also really like Disturbia a lot. Um, but like, there's just everything in this movie serves a purpose and it's yeah. so specific. And it was just like watching this just unfold. And it's, it's been like a few years since I've watched it. It hasn't been as long for for me as, as it was for you yeah but it just like i was like wow it really does it, it it really does feel like sort of this time capsule of early 2000s cinema in terms of you have to you know we joked about 24 but i think because of the like the success of 24 i think we saw a lot more stories geared that way plus also our society changed a little bit in terms of you know things with terrorism and you know Sure. Our, sort of our national concerns and yeah. things like that. Yeah. So you kind of see that reflected in, you know, the scope of this and, you know, kind of the, the, uh, the basic story of like trying to protect um, the, the uh, deputy secretary of Homeland security of all people, <laughs> um, you know, against a Not terrorist the secretary, attack. the deputy secretary. Yeah. Well, we can't go that high, <laughs> you know, um, just enough to like leave a mark. I think right. is what's interesting. Um, but yeah, like I, it was just one of those things where like I, when I was watching, I'm like, wait, how are we already like this? Like it just glides. Like it is so fantastically plotted and the, the pace is just set up so beautifully. And I have to say too, like, I love how you talked about the claustrophobia because like setting stuff inside of a plane kind of like flight, was that flight plan? The one that Jody uh... Foster did? Yeah. Oh, you sound angry about that. <laughs> no, I don't remember that movie much, but I don't remember being crazy about it. Oh, interesting. But I need to see it again. I remember liking the trailer and being like, well, that's intriguing. And then seeing the movie, maybe renting it from Netflix and being like, oh, that's not what I wanted from that movie at all. But maybe it's really good. And I just don't remember. Yeah. I don't know. Did you watch uh, last year? There was a really fun vampire movie on a plane that came out. I think it might be. On Netflix, it was called Blood Red Sky. I did not. Uh, you know, 
I highly recommend it. It's, okay. it's you know, it's not it's not quite as tight, but it's actually really freaking good. Okay. Um, and I just did it for like to talk about like the effects. I did a an article for Fangoria for it. Um, and they wanted me to like talk to the effects team, so I watched it and I was really impressed by it. And it made me realize like what a great setting an airplane is because it's something that regardless of how ridiculous this you know the scenario might be we've all been there we've all been stuck in a plane in not so great circumstances in one way or another so it's easily relatable whether it's like you know killian murphy trying to assassinate somebody or vampires trying to take over your plane <laughs> like we've all been in shitty situations on a plane and i think for me that's what makes it like so effective because i mean i just i hate flying i hate it i hate it i hate it i haven't been on a plane since covid i don't want to go back on a plane since you know yeah but i'm gonna have to eventually i'm sure for work but like i was just like oh everybody's been there you know whether or not you're being like tormented like lisa is in this movie you know the annoyances and the stress that comes from flying so regardless of your scenario you're like oh i've been there although i wouldn't mind being trapped with killian murphy i'll be honest is he a dreamboat not it's not that there's just something like i would just love to have a conversation with him i don't okay. know how to explain it but he just seems like a guy and again it, it, it the, the west plays it up perfectly where he just seems like a guy you want to get a drink with at the bar and just talk to more because you can sense that there's something else okay you know what i mean sure like there's just something so like really endlessly interesting about him and i think that that's what i love about this is like he's not like a Ryan Reynoldsy kind of guy <laughs> or like, you know what I mean? Where, you know, yeah. it's, it's not like he's like the hunky guy or anything like that. He's just a guy that you're like, I need to know more and <laughs> I want to know more. So let's go get a drink and you tell me more. All right. Yeah. So he's really good of course in this I would, movie. I, I would love to hang out with Rachel McAdams too. So, you know, it works for me. She is someone who I have theorized. I can't remember what the movie was. It might have been Wedding Crashers. Like I saw, okay. obviously she's been on my radar since Mean Girls. <laughs> um, but I feel like it was Wedding Crashers where I was like, oh, she's able to make anything work. Like she's just one of those people for me who could sell anything. And I think she's really underappreciated as an actor. Because um, I think she's really terrific in Red Eye. I think like Spotlight, I think... Was she nominated for an Oscar for Spotlight? If not, she probably I think should have might, been. She might have gotten Golden Globe for that okay. or something. Okay. Um, you know what my introduction to to Rachel McAdams was? Was it The Notebook? No, it was The Hot Chick. Oh, that's right. I don't think I saw The Hot Chick <laughs> until after Mean Girls. Okay. Um, yeah, I really... Okay, look. I know Rob Schneider's a piece of shit. <laughs> but... Rob I have Schneider. a soft spot for certain early 2000s comedies that probably aren't amazing, but for some reason they just keep me entertained. Sure. And I remember having to like dry, like drag my ex to go see the hot chick because, you know, come on. But I did. And I at, really liked her in that. At the time, obviously, I was just like, oh, I don't need to see another new Rob Schneider movie. But like in 2022, if you tell me, hey, there's an early 2000s comedy starring Rachel McAdams and Anna Faris, like, sign me up. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I know it's like, again, it's not like 
what I would call like a super heady kind of movie, but like that th- that's a pretty good cast. I even like okay, this sounds so stupid, but I actually really liked uh Eric Christian Olsen too because he was in not another teen movie, which is another movie that I feel like I think like people are starting to like refall in love with it a little bit. Yeah, no, he's great. Yeah, but he's one of those that pops up and stuff a lot where I'm just yeah. like, oh, this guy. I like this guy. Did you ever so. see Fired Up? No. If you want good, underrated, early 2000s comedy, it's Eric Christian Olsen and Nick D'Augusto like joining cheerleaders, joining the cheerleading team in order to get girls and then falling in oh love with cheerleading. Oh, my God. Okay, yes. Now I remember, but no, I never saw that. It rules. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's cool. So, yeah, yeah my, my introduction to her was Hot Chick. Okay. So, um, I, yeah, I have a soft spot for a lot of the hot, the early Happy Madison movies. I know. I know. No, it's fine. It's, I, I, I like some of them. I don't like all of them, but yeah. I'll, watch, I'll watch a Joe Dirt. I'll watch a, a Dickie Roberts, former child actor. <laughs> <laughs> like, how, what is your feeling of little Nick? Because that's going to make or break this conversation. I am weirdly down with little Nikki. Like you dig it? Yeah. Okay, cool. Okay. Phew. Yeah. Phew. I, did, I didn't want to have to like end our friendship over this, but cool. Okay, cool. No, cool. I, I, it has a wildly overqualified cast. Um, yeah. It doesn't all work as well as like the earliest Sandler's, but I like how weird it's willing to get. And uh, I'll take it over a lot of his later output. Yeah. Like pretty much up through, (sighs) I think probably the last one I saw that I I actually would say is pretty funny, even though most people probably wouldn't agree with me is you don't mess with the Zohan. Okay. I saw it once. I don't remember it. Although I, I am a Hubie Halloween fan. You know, I haven't watched Hubie Halloween. Brian won't let me, so I just haven't yet. So I have to do that. I think. I know it would be. It'd be you would like, dig right. it. Oh, I, I know I would. Yeah. Um, I actually saw the murder mystery movie that he did with uh, with Jennifer Adam Sandler Anderson. and Jennifer Aniston. Yeah. And that was actually pretty fun, I thought. So I will I'll watch the sequel when it comes to Netflix. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I also have a super soft spot for Grandma's Boy. Grandma's Boy is incredible. Dude, it's one of the movies that basically inspired me to like go be a writer and move out to LA and just <laughs> do my shit. It was uh, one of those movies that I went to see at the Dollar Theater and I was like, all right, let's see. It, exact same experience as Billy Madison, actually, where I had I went to see it at the Dollar Theater and I had this in my head where I was like, let's see if I get my dollars worth out of this piece of shit. And yeah. then the movie ends up being sneaky great and I love it. And uh both that's true of both of those movies. Yeah, Grandma's Boy is awesome. I could do with you know, without all the weed stuff, but that's me, I know. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> nobody's nobody's perfect. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> is it the Linda Cardellini doing uh push it? Is that what is that what really sells it for you? I mean, that's what sells it for me. Are you kidding? (laughs) It's not the worst. No, dude. She's like smoking hot in that movie. It's definitely, uh, what's his name being a robot though. Oh, Joel David Moore. (laughs) Yeah. I was just going to say that with his, with his matrix jacket. Yes. (laughs) Oh God. Okay. And uh, we're starting the Grandma's Boy podcast. Nick Swarsden, who 
is an acquired taste and who I don't love in a lot of movies. Like I went to see Bucky Larson. But I love him in this. In fucking Grandma's Boy, he steals every scene he's in. Like oh, hey, with Shirley Jackson, is it? Uh, or not Shirley no, Jackson. Shirley Jackson wrote The Haunting. It would be yes, Shirley, uh, Shirley Shirley Knight? Knight. Yeah. Yes. Oh wait, no, Shirley Jones. Shirley Jones. Shirley Jones. Sorry, there, it is. there is a Shirley Knight. One. Yeah. Yes. Shirley Jones asking if Charlie Chaplin was silent. Yes. Is like maybe the best joke in the movie. Oh my god! Yeah, I, <laughs> I, we, we watch Grandma's Boy at least once a year, maybe on a certain specific day. But yes. I can't imagine Christmas. Um. Yeah, it's like April Christmas. Oh, April, <laughs> April first. April, April Christmas. Yeah, something like that. Maybe, maybe like nineteen days later. I don't know. No, that doesn't make sense. It's April first. Yeah, of course. I stand course. by what I said. Yes. So April first um, is known for being hilarious. Grandma's boy is hilarious. My math yeah, adds up. It totally makes sense. Yeah, I gotcha. Do you remember um, when we were talking about Red Eye? Yeah, I do. I was just going to go back to that. All right. Um, but now I forgot what we were going to say because we started talking about <laughs> Grandma's Boy. This, this I, is why we're the pros. This is, I looked this is why up Carl teaching. Ellsworth and, uh, to see what else he wrote. He did a lot of TV, some movies that I'm not crazy about. Guess what he's announced to be writing to bring uh, things full circle? Uh, Gremlins 3, know. baby! What? <laughs> yeah. Get out. Yeah. I mean, I should have saved that for the end to really bring the whole show full circle, but I would have forgotten. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting that he did the last house on the left remake, which is, yeah. I'm wondering if Wes brought him in for that. Maybe. Because I mean, Wes was really hands-on with that remake. Yeah. So we yeah, should do addendum Craven Cravens and do the Craven remakes. Uh, I mean, we kind of already did for Corpse Club, didn't we? Did we? Well, I, f- I know we did. Well, we did that. We left. did like certain. We did certain like years of re- like you know we did like the 09s, the 08s. We, yeah, we we definitely did Last House on the Left. We definitely did Nightmare on Elm Street because I put my foot in my mouth regarding Kyle Gallner. Um, oh, I remember that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I don't know that we ever did The Hills Have Eyes. No, I don't think we did. I think we like, started that after. Yeah, I think. I you're just right. noticed though that uh, he used to write for the the Buffy TV show too, so that's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nifty. Carl Nifty. Ellsworth got quite the resume. Yeah. Oh, he did Clone Wars too. That's cool. Yeah. Awesome. He was a writer on Xena. And he yeah. wrote fucking Red Eye. Which, yeah, uh, I want to talk. Um, we we talked a little bit about sort of the claustrophobic nature of planes, and I think with for me was one thing that I super duper appreciated about this is that it would have been so easy to just sort of cheat this movie and have like a few people around them and never really give you a sense of this full plane. Okay, and I love that as the plane is getting ready to take off, like basically, uh, Wes has Robert Yeoman, uh take the time to show you the entire plane of people. Sure. Because I think honestly, like how do you create scope in a limited space like that? Mm -hmm. And I think that is such a genius way to do it Mm -hmm. that like, for me, like it makes the movie feel bigger. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it absolutely does. 
Um, because I just think that's really cool. And I also like as somebody, cause like I did a set visit for 7,500, which I don't know. If, I think that came out like direct to video or something uh, I don't like even know five years is. later. It okay. was with, um, Ryan Quantin. I know who um, he is. And I forget who else was in it, but I remember Roy Lee produced because flight 7,500. Did they change? Well, so, it was just 7,500 well, 7, stars. Joseph Gordon Levitt. Okay, so they changed it to Flight 7. Flight 7. Oh, it's Takashi Shimizu. Uh, yes. Leslie yes. Bibb, Amy Smart. I need to see this movie. Holy shit. Yeah, it got shelved. Scout Taylor Compton? Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, we did a set visit. That was actually the set visit I met Rebecca McKendry on. Get of all out things. Town. Yeah, but it was really cool because they recreated a plane, like inside, and that's where they shot and stuff. And it just made me really appreciate, like, how well you can fake that environment for film because right, like right. there's nothing about red eye that makes me feel like you're on a on a inside a plane on a set like it feels like it's always going i don't like i don't know if it's just the lightning outside really helps sell it um but yeah when i did the 7500 thing they actually did a thing where they like reenacted turbulence and they had like the thing moving and stuff and they did like this really crazy turbulence sequence on us did you ever see the finished film no, because okay. it like it got buried for years, and then I think it literally went like straight to streaming or somewhere. It's, or it's like on that. all the free sites, so it's okay. on the Roku channel. It's on Tubi. It's on Freevee. Uh, I definitely want to check it out, but my guess is it's not going to be great. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's like it's it's tough, uh, but you know what is great? Red Eye. Red Eye is great. I think also, too, what I really loved about this, too, is, like, so there's so many of, like, hey, that person, or hey, it's that lady, or hey, it's that guy is in this. Beyond, obviously, Brian Cox, who's always amazing. Um, but it was really cool, like, um, Angela Patton, who plays the lady who wants, who borrows the Dr. Phil book. Like, we've seen her in, like, so many things over the years we're like because she's in uh the wedding singer she is uh the photographer lady okay that drew barrymore and adam sandler meet with when yes. drew barrymore is doing her thing yeah and, like, she's in a ton of stuff yeah joe dirt wow she was she she did a lot of happy medicine stuff <laughs> she's um, in groundhog day yeah she is she has one of those memorable faces Yes. And so it was like, it was kind of like falling in love with all these, like these little like players. Um, and I swear to God, the senior flight attendant lady looks, was she the flight? At, she wasn't the flight attendant. And oh no, she wasn't. I thought she was the flight attendant from Die Hard 2, but no, she just looks a lot like her. Um, so here's where I'm going to say something. My one critical comment about All right, go Red for Eye. It. And I apologize for this. Don't apologize. I, I do really like this movie. But since we're talking about some of the supporting characters, um, I don't know what it is because I, it's not something that I've noticed in the other Wes Craven movies that we've talked about. But I feel like a lot of the supporting actors and or background actors in this movie are very broad in a way that reminded me of like a Sam Raimi movie. Like Sam Raimi is really bad with background actors. Okay. Have you ever noticed this? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. 
and I mean, Darkman is like, yeah. The Spider-Man movies, anytime he cuts yeah. to like crowds, it's just like, oh shit, who's directing these people? Uh, not Sam Raimi, probably. It's probably some like second unit person. But uh, just all of the stuff with like almost anyone who isn't one of the three leads. Not everybody, but a lot of the 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 extras or some of the supporting actors. I'm just like, oh, like even the obnoxious couple at the end. That the last, oh, the other critical thing I will say is that that last scene falls really flat for me. Does it? Like, yes, the whole like the obnoxious. Uh, couple and them getting their comeuppance, her telling him to shove it up their ass, and then like the last line being like, as long as it's not a bay breeze, bah, bah, bah. like I don't know, that doesn't work for me. The rest of the movie totally rock solid. Okay, I think for me, like because we've just sort of been, it's like it's sort of like you've been on the roller coaster and you're going and you're going, and then there's like that little like r- like that part of the ride that you do where you're just on like. Flat land and like yeah, yeah, yeah. land a flat going, track like, until you get straight back. back into the thing. I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah. And I think for me, that's that. Where sure. it's like because you actually genuinely care about Lisa. Yes. And you want to know that, like, for all that she's been through in like the previous 80 minutes of the story, like, you want to know that it matters somehow. Like, that there's some sort of like wrapping up with like her and Keith. Yeah, like in terms of like him acknowledging that, like you know, even though technically she's the one who put them in danger to begin with, but <laughs> well, she had to. There, she, she had, had to. to. She has to protect Brian Cox. He is he is a you know an international treasure. He's a he grouchy be, treasure. He might be from Canada originally, so I don't want to say American treasure and sp- mm. speak out of turn. But, um, but like I was okay. Like I he's totally from Scotland, get what you're saying. By the way. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So he so, is an international treasure. He is. Um, so, like for me, like I get what you're saying. I was okay with it at that point. Sure. Because everything, but it, because nothing about this movie is horror, right? This is very much a, a thriller. For sure. So I don't need it to end on some sort of somber note. Oh no, right? I don't. Structurally, I'm fine with it. Like in terms of like the roller coaster metaphor that you use. All that stuff, again, it's all execution. Like, had it been slightly different dialogue, had the performances of the couple been maybe pitched a little bit differently, I just thought it was, like, a little sitcom-y. I mean, here's the thing, though. I'm somebody who makes really bad jokes all the time. Okay. So, to me, literally, that would be, like, a joke I would make in a really (laughs) uncomfortable situation. So, maybe that's why I related to it. But I totally get what you're saying. Um, and it also Had it gone on me- for one second longer, do you think Jayma Mays would have been like, uh, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> She's like, what? She doesn't get the whole Bay Breeze thing. No. <laughs> it's a joke for us. It was a moment for us. Uh, by the way, Jayma Mays is amazing in this. Um, and She's I think... Jayma Amazing. She is Jayma Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to make sure that scanned, and I... Yeah, come out a little smoother, but she's actually adorable in the Smurfs movie. So, um, oh boy, and I know I watched it one day on TV. <laughs> I never watched Glee, so I don't give a shit about. I it. I took Charlie to see the Smurfs movie when he was very, very small. It was like maybe the third movie I ever took him to, and it just it pissed me off because it's one of these movies. <laughs> I know we're talking about Red Eye, but it's one of these movies where like someone discovers speaking of billy madison movies it's the zookeeper phenomenon someone discovers something completely magical 
And the first thing they do is like, can you help me with my job? Yes, I get it. In Zookeeper, it's like, I can talk to animals. Help me with this girl. In Smurfs, it's like, there's magical blue creatures that live amongst us. Uh, get me a marketing promotion. I get it. I get All right. it. All right. I'm, 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 I'm not arguing with you there because I think it's like, it's very specifically acquired. I think for me, being somebody who grew up obsessed with the Smurfs. Okay. You know, I, I get it. <laughs> but I was still charmed. And also, let's not forget that she ended up being the new uh, Joanna in Bill and Ted Face the Music. Uh, I did forget that. Yeah, when they recast uh, the princesses. I completely forgot that. Yeah. Was the other princess anyone? Uh, oh, gosh. Um, 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 oh, my God. Why am I? Was she a um, famous person? Um... Um, um, holy crap, I'm looking at, let's see if I can, if you can beat me to it here. It's Aaron Hayes. Aaron Hayes. Yeah. Star of one season of Kevin can wait. Oh, she's in children's hospitals. No, I know she's, so do I. She's great. I just was, she got unceremoniously fired from Kevin can wait. And then they made a whole show about that called Kevin can go fuck himself. Oh, wait, that's how that came about? Yes. Oh, my God, I didn't know that. Now I might want to go watch that show. Yeah, it's What's-Her-Name oh. from uh, Schitt's Creek. Yes, I knew that because I actually yeah. saw a part. Yeah. Uh, just for a record, uh, Aaron Hayes is going to be in the new Christmas Story movie. So. All right. Yeah, she looks, I think she's playing the wife of Ralphie maybe or something. Good for Ralphie. Yeah, good for Ralphie. Marry <laughs> Um, Anyway, but yeah, I really like Jim Amaze a lot. And I just, I like, I think for me as somebody, and this is something that like uh, Lisa says in the movie, but like how she talks about she's a people pleaser and you yeah. get the sense that uh, Cynthia, with, who is Jamie's character, is very much the same way. And I think I'm somebody who I've been reconciling with spending decades of my life being a people pleaser and okay. having to realize like my own limitations um, that I think that's why like, I'm like, this movie is like like my shit like like, (laughs) infinity because i've just spent like so much time being in the same positions that they've been in sure and still going above and beyond and never feeling like it's enough and dealing with people like regardless of how much you bend over backwards for them they still can't even say thank you or they can't even acknowledge what you've done for them um and i think for me like i get those two women so deeply that like i guess maybe that's why i can kind of forgive the hokiness of the ending yeah understandable so um where i'm just like yeah i get it i'm i'm a people pleaser who makes terrible jokes like this is i'm lisa (laughs) (laughs) god i wish um but yeah like it it's it's one of those like i think for me it's such an interesting entry into wes's sort of filmography because so many of his other movies, like you can sort of find like these like subtext yeah. of things going on in society. And and I don't mean this like as any sort of disrespect to the screenplay here or anything, but there really isn't subtext. It's just in there to kind of give you a thrill ride and prey on our fears of like how we deal with terrorism, specifically 
internal terrorism within our country, which wasn't really being talked about a lot. Yeah. And that's kind of it. But I'm okay with that. Yeah. I mean, I suspect part of what, and I don't want to speak for him, but I, I suspect part of what drew Wes Craven to the project was this idea of like post 9-11 fears and him processing some of that, you know, and helping us process some of that. But yeah, for the most part, it is just this very sort of tightly wound uh, genre exercise and a very good one at that. Yeah, I will say, though, I was a little bummed that we didn't get the annoyances of people having to take their shoes or belts off at the airport. Because <laughs> that was still very much a thing in 2005. Yeah, it's I think belts are okay now. now. I think belts are okay now, but shoes are definitely off. Still. I have definitely had to take my belt off before. Like, okay. even recently. Like, I'm supposed to fly next week. I'll bet I have to take my belt off. Oh, that sounds like such a thing where, like, I have to take my belt off. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess, I don't know, maybe because of, like, tra traveling through the airports that I usually go through, which is either Burbank or the Austin airport. Okay. Yeah, they kind of changed their policies at those two. Or yeah. they had pre-COVID. Who knows now? But I don't right. think COVID gets carried in your belt. So. You don't know my belt. I guess. No. <laughs> it's dangerous, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. Full Dude, of COVID. At Austin, they don't even make you unpack your electronics anymore. Well, Austin's a very laid-back city. Yeah, they are. They're like, yeah, whatever, go through. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Pinky swear, dude. All right, yeah. go ahead. Go ahead, bro. Catch <laughs> that flight. Make sure you get yourself some salt lick on the way. Ooh, I've had the Austin Airport salt lick before. I have too. <laughs> I can't even tell you how many 5 a.m. mornings where I've stood in line waiting for breakfast tacos there. <laughs> I went there because I had failed to go to the salt lick previously, and it was like my last ditch attempt to eat at salt lick. So I was I've like, well, I've never been uh, to, the, to actual salt lick. Yeah, no, I, I hadn't either. Yeah. It's like, they're like, are you sure you don't want to get a little before you go? And you're like, I do. I do. And then I'm going to hit Cinnabon because why not? I'm at the airport. Right. I'm just going to get all the, the greasiest and fattiest foods I could eat before I get on a plane. Yes. That's how you travel. <laughs> so I do like also, too, um, how when you go through, when they go through the plane and they're sort of establishing everybody, how it's just like, every caricature of like types of right, people flying. Right, you got right. the screaming baby, the guy eating weird food that you just don't eat on a plane. Yeah. You got like the annoying passive aggressive guy who's actually super aggressive. Um, you got the lady who just can't do anything for herself. Like you got the lady who just chats with everybody. Like I, it's like, again, it's one of those things. Like if you, if you've flown in the last like 20 years, like, you you know that this is this is like you walking into real life and it ends up being pretty effective like because on the one hand the the cynical side of me wants to say like yeah that's a little broad and sitcommy too but ultimately i think the net effect is to identify even further with the rachel mcadams character because it's like oh i've been with these people on a plane, you know, and so as she, as the audience surrogate becomes so even more identifiable because now she's with the people on the plane that we've all been with. And so I think there is sort of a, a, a cumulative effect of making it so relatable that I think works. Also, I'll be really excited to see once you fly next week 
You're going to like text me afterwards and be like, all of those people were on my plane. Oh, for sure. I think they're just a stock <laughs> company of characters that are on every plane. They yeah. just switch out 10 passengers per flight. Yeah. So that we all get, it's like a ride at Disney. So we all get the experience. Of... Yeah. They're just animatronic people. That exactly. <laughs> By the way, how badass is that bathroom scene? Because I, uh, when I was watching, I actually rewound it when I was watching it because like, it, it, like we talk about tight spaces and the plane itself is already really tight and yeah. difficult to shoot in. But that bathroom sequence, yeah. like to be able to throw audiences in basically what is like a three by three space is and then do it in a way that still allows the action to unfold, yeah. but never feels uh, like intrusive is like freaking amazing. Like, again, like I talked about Robert Yaman, um, the cinematographer, like that's some really great camera work in that whole sequence when they're in there together. For sure. I, I, I mean, I think the cinematography throughout between Robert Yaman and, and Wes Craven's choices, because he does shoot so much of the movie in kind of these tighter close-ups. Um, yeah. It opens up a little bit, like when we get into the house. Uh, but he's still using a lot of tighter shots and it just adds to the claustrophobia of it all. And uh, it's really, really effective. I was so appreciating just the craft of filmmaking on display uh, as I watched it this most recent time. Yeah. I also want to talk to you because um, we get a little bit more of Lisa's story towards the end of the movie before we move from the plane to her dad's house where she talks about like, yeah. what happened to her with the scar and everything like that. And I have to say, like, I think for me, what I personally appreciated about that was that she's somebody who went through a really horrific trauma and she carries it with her, but not in a way that I think we've particularly seen depicted because I think so many times, and again, because right now we're in this sort of trauma horror phase these years <laughs> and i told you we were going to this yeah like literally seven years ago i said we're heading this way with horror and i yeah. was right yeah um where everything is going to be like internal um but i just appreciated how the trauma is relevant it's it's there it's evident but it that's not what the movie's focus is and nor does it define her character and i think anybody who's lived through trauma like you there's a i'm trying to find the best way to say it because it's different for everybody but i know from my perspective i've had to figure out like how do i carry that with me mm -hmm. do i let it continue and there's no right or wrong to this so please nobody take this out of context but like do you let it constantly hang over you and define who you are and how you react to situations or do you find ways to sort of acknowledge it but find ways to go past it and i just I, it's just a different depiction than i think we've seen before um and i don't think it's a depiction we've seen lately um in in, in any sort of genre movies because i think it's there's a heaviness i think to horror right now yeah um yeah. and i don't get the sense here but they never marginalize what she's been through either, if that makes sense. And I'm probably saying this all in the wrong way because it's all a very personal experience for everybody. But I think for me as somebody who's really had to figure out what to do with it and where to put it and what I wanted it to mean 
to the kind of person I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of how they have it in this movie is something again that I personally related to. Okay. Um, which I just thought was nice. And again, it's like it's 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 different for everybody, and I don't want to diminish anybody else's experiences. No, of course not. But you know, everybody reacts to things differently, and I just think there was a lot of it. It was handled in a way where you knew it meant something, but it wasn't the focus of who the character was. Right. Right. It informs her character without defining her character. Yeah. Yeah. So, and again, I'm, I, if anybody wants to yell at me about the way I discussed it, please, I'm, I'm totally okay with it. I, <laughs> no. you know, I, I get it. Nobody's um, going to yell at you. It's fine if they do. I probably deserve it. Um, but <laughs> it was just one of those things where I think again, right now, because we're in a, we're, I'm literally seeing hundreds of movies every year where, you know, for the last three years where every like trauma, 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 it's just all about trauma. And it was just like, oh, it just felt like a little bit of a reprieve. If yes. that makes sense. Yes. Well, that's one of the things that I have liked about some of the, you know, I think this has been a really good year for horror movies for a lot of reasons. And one of the reasons is uh, uh, a couple of big horror movies have gotten away from that a little bit. Yeah. I don't want to say which ones because I don't want to spoil anything, but like a couple of more recent ones uh, are not, you know, sort of bogged down in like, it's about trauma. It's about being fucked up and what we carry um, and are just a little And I love more... those two because there is absolutely that happens with them. Absolutely. And I would say probably at least half of my favorite horror movies this year are centered around trauma. Okay. Um but there is something nice to be like when you can kind of pull back from that a little bit because I'm like, you know, I think we're all sort of having that trauma fatigue of having to live through the last two and a half years or almost three years at this point now yeah. where, you know, I don't know how much more we want to keep reliving it. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And I think we all sort of need a break from that. Yeah. Um. So... Um, One thing I was thinking as I was watching this and you kind of made my point for me earlier when we were talking about Flight 7500 was like Mm -hmm. this movie wouldn't be made today. And if it was, it wouldn't be made by a director as well known and as talented. I don't want to say as talented, but as as well known and as well respected. Yes, as Wes Craven. It wouldn't star the likes of Rachel McAdams and Killian Murphy, and it would go straight to VOD. Um, and this movie, you know, already had its budget like chopped in half. I read it was supposed to be made for like fifty million, and then they cut it to twenty six. Which, admittedly, when you're looking at it, though, like, why did they need fifty million? I'm not totally sure because. I mean, to be honest, like, I mean, I guess it's because we live in the day and age where Blumhouse can do anything with $5 million, where I'm like, why did this movie cost $26 million? <laughs> right. I mean, pay your cast and your director. Go for it. But I'm yeah. just kind of like, where, where did the rest of that go? I mean, <laughs> I guess filming in airports is kind of tricky. and. But because films have succeeded for less now, that's why budgets continue to shrink, you know? And yeah. so it's nice that, like, he had probably the shooting schedule at 26 million, he had the days to make this movie work because now it would be like, here's 2 million and you have seven days and two actors go for it. Um, 
It would just, it would be go straight to streaming and it just, it wouldn't be what it is. And this is, I've been hammering this, you know, for the last couple of years because a certain kind of movie has vanished from the marketplace and Red Eye fits squarely in that category, which is just like, oh, absolutely mid-budget targeted, you know, this, I won't say it's made for adults, uh, but it's made for a, a wide audience. audience. Yeah. A wide audience that isn't like some four quadrant bullshit. You know what I mean? It's like, this works for teenagers and it works for adults, but it's not because it's pandering to us all the way that It doesn't feel like the kind of movie DreamWorks would make today. No. 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 Uh, That's all. Just, I I watch movies from the early 2000s, which doesn't seem like that long ago. And I just lament what we've lost. Yeah, no, I get it because I seriously, I'm, I'm, a, I'm the type of person where I'm just like, oh, this came out in 1997. I was like, oh, that was like 20 years ago, right? And you're like, oh, wait, hold up, yeah, that was 25 years ago, yeah. Or like some of the movies that, like, you know, I watched in high school. I'm like, oh, that was 30 years ago now. Cool, <laughs> awesome, cool. right? Three decades now. Okay, <laughs> yeah. Like I'm not ready for movies from the early 2000s to be celebrating the 20th anniversary. I'm right. just not. Right. No, so, it's yeah. bananas. It is. Yeah, B A N A N A S. Thank when you. When Stefani had it right, always in the early two thousands. She was always right. She always has been. Maybe not about that Blake Shelton character. Mm, I don't know. I, I don't know anything about out. Blake Shelton. I'm. Just I don't either. Stupid joke. I have no idea. He might be the nicest guy in the world. I have no idea. He, he could be. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. I don't care also, if I know. Can we also just say how fun it is that his name is Jackson Ripner in this movie? It's like they stick with it. I, I'm okay. I it almost think feels I thought, like there's like a hint of black comedy to it. Yeah, sometimes. like I thought when he makes the joke that it's a bullshit name and he's using it to make a joke, but like no, they stick with Jack Ripner the whole movie. Damn right they do. <laughs> I I was like yes, I love this. Thank you, thank you for committing to the bit. They didn't exactly. have acid. They could have walked that back, and they don't. Right? Yeah. So I appreciate I'm that. I'm with yeah. you. Look, if committer don't, but you know, if you're if you're gonna if you're gonna half ass it, then I'm not interested. <laughs> so what happens that we don't get another one of these from Wes Craven? Because you know, we recently did Music of the Heart, and I kind of understand why we don't get another one of those from Wes Craven, even though. That's a perfectly serviceable, functioning movie. Like, there's not really anything noticeably wrong with it, but I kind of get why we don't get another one. But Red Eye is a critical success. It makes, like, $100 million worldwide. Uh, It's Wes Craven, you know, really directing like he hadn't, I would say, since Scream. Yeah. In terms of just being like at the top of his fucking game. Uh, and then, I mean, I know he only makes two more movies after this, but like. I, I think one, it was the cursed effect. I think that was part of it. And I think two also. But as think, we started by saying cursed was before this. But that that doesn't mean that the film, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like the film was, you know, still made and still released. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, both and of was a notorious. Were- I mean, they made that movie twice. Like, it was a notorious yeah. train wreck. Yeah. So it wasn't like he, like, him making Red Eye was dependent on how Cursed went. Like, both of them were already done. Yeah, yeah. Sure. 
So, you know, it's one of those where like, also, I think the marketplace changed because, you know, as we get into the late 2000s, suddenly things are shifting, you know, in terms of all of a sudden we're starting to like start the increase of Marvel. Right. It starts coming in. Right. And we're seeing, you know, we're seeing different political themed movies where they're more realistic, like the Black Hawk Downs, the Zero Dark Thirties. Like it's not it's not just escapism political thrillers anymore. Okay. Like there's a more there's there's a little bit more of a reality to mm-hmm. them, I think. Um, and I, you know, and I think honestly, because then I think horror started to hit again in the late 2000s. And I think that's when the genre kind of pulled him back in. Okay. Because that was, you know, I don't know that movies like this were being made in the late 2000s. Right. And being released theatrically. Uh, you know? Yeah, no, not really. So, you know, so it's, I think there was just a lot of extraneous, fa- like external factors okay. that kind of went into it. Yeah. It's a bummer. You know? because It is. It is a bummer. As we have said with a couple of his other films, it's like you can see, it's like when Carpenter makes Starman, it's like you can see this other path that their career might have taken. Now, I don't want to be denied, obviously with Carpenter and Starman, like has he, if he goes down that path, we're denied a bunch of movies that I really love. With Wes Craven, you know, we lose My Soul to Take and Scream 4, and I like-ish one of those movies. Um, oh, we're going to fight on the Scream 4 episode. We're, we're, that's the one I like-ish. I, well, ish. It's still the ish. <laughs> I need to watch it again. The last time I watched it, it played better for me than it had in the past. Okay. Maybe, maybe we'll was, get even further the next time. That was like in January, because that was leading up to the new one. All right, cool. So I might like it even more this time. So I'm I'm not too worried about fighting bad uh, uh, on Scream 4. And I honestly, I haven't seen My Soul to Take probably since it came out on Blu-ray. So I'm excited to revisit it because that's a fucking crazy movie. Yeah, I haven't seen it since the theater. So Oh my gosh. So it'll be a, it'll be a journey for me as well. Is it wild that we only have three more of these to go? I'm really sad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, three more I, movies to do, and then we'll do another one where we kind of rank everything. But yeah, but I'm I'm really sad about this. Yeah, I was like, oh, we started this like a while ago, and now here I we know. are. <sighs> but yeah, at least we know Red Eye rules. Red Eye rules. Red Eye is a it's it's an anomaly in his filmography, but a pretty damn awesome anomaly. But it's an awesome anomaly. Yeah. Yeah, I would say, well, I'm just looking at his filmography right now. It's probably my favorite of his since the original Scream. But we're only talking about Scream 2, Music of the Heart, Scream 3, and Cursed in between. Mm, Okay. Okay. I don't know if I could put it against Scream 2, but... Scream 2 is pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm not downplaying Scream 2, but... Yeah. But we'll get to that. (laughs) We'll get to... Right. We'll get to the final... Putting all the puzzle pieces together and realizing what There's no way I'm going to be able to rank. I'll be able to do like a top five and then everything below five is just going to be like, fuck, I don't know. Shocker, you know, like, I don't know. (laughs) Oh, no, we're committing to this. We have to go all in. (laughs) I can't possibly rank everything. The listeners demand it. Oh, shit. Uh, All right. Well, we will be back next month, I'm pretty sure, with Cursed. 
Yes. And then we, when you we, listen we, to we these, you can just listen to them out of order and just pretend <laughs> that we didn't fuck it up. <laughs> Isn't that what you do with every episode that we do? Just pretend we didn't fuck it up? I, that's what I've been doing with this podcast for 12 years. So, nice. And here we yeah. are. And here we are. Uh, but thank you, Heather. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, everybody watch a Wes Craven movie. Yes.